And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Down to Dunk. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. We're part of the Athletic Podcast Network. And with me today is my good friend, Michele Barra. Michele, what's up? I moved. I'm in a new life, <laughs> new house, new everything. I'll try to be even more active on Twitter and have a room that has less echo. <laughs> That's okay. I can totally relate to uh, podcasting in a new place. Uh, it's weird. You got to figure it out. But we're super happy for you and your family. That's uh, very great. Uh, speaking of new, speaking of weird, different, uh, it was a year ago today that the Thunder and Celtics played in that epic matchup where it just felt like the Thunder just were done, toast. And then Kemba Walker, they inbound the ball to Kemba. And Kemba dribbles the ball the wrong way, and I will forever be baffled by that because there's zero reasons for you to go that direction. You're dribbling into the corner, and they steal the ball. Shooter makes the layup. Chris Paul defends Tatum perfectly on the other end. Game over, Thunder win. And it felt like, oh, like that was a big win. At that point in the season, the Celtics weren't the Celtics of this season. They nope. were a very, very good team. And they win that game on the road, and they were rolling. And then they were, Utah was coming into OKC that week. I think it was that Wednesday that they came in. This was on a Sunday uh, last year. And it just felt like the Thunder were really poised to do something. And then things just shut down. And we had no clue about COVID. I think we even had talked about COVID on the podcast. Yeah. One, because in Italy, things had progressed to a level that they hadn't in the U.S. yet. And we just had no clue what we were up against or what the league was up against or what the entire world was up against uh, on that Sunday. It was just kind of one of like the last like normal-ish moments that we had. Yeah. I remember us discussing, well, the game in Boston was awesome. It was just awesome. Like, yeah. it was uh, this team that had, I mean, the Thunder were rolling in that moment. Um, but it was still a tough game, a tough road trip. I think that the game before was the one where Shea exploded in Toronto for an amazing uh, win against the Raptors. And so, yep. um, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, and that week was awesome. I mean, you win in, uh, against the Raptors, you win against the Celtics. It's an unexpected two win on the road. And then you come, mm-hmm. you, you go home and and COVID starts to be something more real. I remember us discussing it's safe, it's not safe. It was in Tulsa, I think a couple of days before that were the first cases. And we didn't know about how quickly it could propagate. And mm-hmm. I mean, in Italy, yeah, we had some clue, but not, I mean, not this, <laughs> not yeah. nearly this. Yeah. It is, it is wild to think about. Yeah. We're not going to talk the whole pot about COVID, but I think it, it does bear mentioning 
that it was this week. And for me personally, uh, tomorrow will be like the anniversary of my start date with the athletic. And it was just a couple days after that, that the league shuts down. And so for me, had I signed my contract days later, or we had my start date be a few days later, uh, I wouldn't even have this job. I mean, it's just, it is, it's, you're a great, so crazy for me. Well, I'm just telling you, I just don't, I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know what, I don't know what everything looks like at this point. So it was everything. Everything is just so crazy to think about. And just watching that clip this morning and I uh, ripped it from YouTube and threw it up on my Twitter page. I was, that feels like a lifetime ago. It feels like we've, we've, we have just experienced so much life between that point and today. Uh, way more than we do uh, in a normal year. So it's just, and we're all in this together. You know, we're all (laughs) getting through this together. It's just, it's wild to me. Yeah, it is. It is. And again, um, if you ask me, like, yeah, um, in in March, we were kind of under the impression that we would have like a, a couple of months, maybe... Up until the summer, maybe uh, winter. But I remember—I uh, don't know if I told the story. Uh, probably yes, on the podcast. I don't remember. But my daughter, who was five at the time, uh, she told me, "Dad, if next year we'll still be in lockdown, I'm telling you, I'll call Santa. I'll go to the North Pole." so that I can be free without a mask. And I told her, <laughs> I told her, Anita, well, if that happens, trust me, I will be in the, the North Pole with you. <laughs> Instead, I'm still here. But um, that was how we felt in that moment. And um, yep. and yeah, the kids, they, they always find kids. good ways to, <laughs> to tackle business. I'll, they do. I'll escape, they I'll do. go to Santa. <laughs> it's i will say that i feel more hopeful now than i have in a while that that things will eventually get back to a new normal that's not um so clouded by covid so i feel hopeful today feel hopeful about uh just our situation with the world i feel hopeful about this thunder team uh, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to give grades for this Thunder team. We'll call them midterm grades. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, McKelly, first we have to establish our scale. Yes. And you texted me this morning that you had a meat scale. And yes. so I am dying to know what this is. Where do we want to start? At the bottom or at the top? Let's start... Let's start with the dregs. Let's start with the, the bad meat first. So the worst meat. So this is by, uh, based on real experience I had in the United States. Uh, since I love oh. meat, uh, it's, it's not a particular kind. So I cannot say chicken is bad or rabbit is bad or yeah. venison is bad. No, nothing like that. It's based on specific moments uh, and hopefully like stuff that happened to all of you. Is that okay? Is that fair? <laughs> sure. So the worst thing um, 
it's my last day uh, when I was a, in the US when I was a PhD student at Purdue. And I had uh-huh. a couple of friends that insisted to get my favorite dish, which was a T-bone steak. And yeah. I went to a butcher and I spent, I remember the, the, the figure, $17.24 on a steak. Okay. Um, and we went home and this girl uh, named Talia, who was the wife of, my, of one of my co-workers, said, I'll cook it for you. I said, please don't. I said, yes, I'll use the broiler. Please don't. And, please don't. <laughs> and it was basically so well done that I couldn't even chew it. And this is the worst possible thing, like having the best, in, in like, ugh. I mean, you have this meat that raw looks fantastic. And when you have it on, yeah. the, on the plate, it's terrible, terrible. So this is the this worst. This is not good. Me. So great meat. So this is like a Mitch McGarry cook steak. Exactly. You, you can call it that yeah. way. And the okay. second thing, which will get every one of you mad at me, uh, first because of my stupidity and second because I will be probably uh, erratic, um, I, I, I had to spend Thanksgiving in the US and so I thought mm-hmm. to have a very nice dinner. And yeah. I thought, well, why don't we went in Chicago for these three days because we had three days off and we decided to, get, to have Thanksgiving dinner in a restaurant, on a very fancy restaurant. I waited two and a half hours to be seated and I had the worst turkey of my entire life. So it was so dry. Like dry? Yeah. It was so dry. I had to put all the gravy on it and it was not enough. So dry Mm -hmm. turkey to me is the second worst. And it's worse compared to the the, the T-bone just because I should have known better. Like Thanksgiving is not you don't you don't have to go to the restaurant so yeah, the should not yeah middle of the scale uh, um this will be quicker uh it's pork shoulder pork okay. shoulder it's something that i cook uh i cooked regularly there because it was cheap and it i thought it could be a very good dish to to bring to a potluck and one night it came out perfectly like eight hours of cooking <laughs> it was so good that my one of my friend who is vegetarian tried it and loved it wow and wow. so the next, the next Converted week, somebody. they asked me to do it together, uh, to, to, do, to do it again. And it came out just okay. Yeah. So, and this is terrible because you have something that, <laughs> that you, you see, wow, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be Hami to Diallo in New York. And then you get a regular yeah. Hami and say, yeah, it's, it's good. Don't get me wrong. But I didn't came here for this. So Hami shoulder. Exactly. Number four it's here we are in the echelon of very good very good things and this is my great ex- experience in terms of barbecue that unfortunately is not in oklahoma because i didn't have time to try the real barbecue i, I went to austin texas and i had one of the most uh-huh. amazing barbecue i've ever had and and it was just was it ribs was it brisket what'd you have main i think that the main dish was uh, the main piece of uh, meat that i took it was brisket and it was insane yeah it's just insane. Yeah, yeah. But at the top of the list is um, I went to a conference when I was there at Purdue and one of the sponsors paid for the dinner and I had a dry aged ribeye steak. And that was... Yeah. Ribeye is, is where it's at. Okay. This is the scale. Okay. So ribeye, brisket, hami shoulder, dry turkey, Mitch McGarry steak. Exactly. 
Okay, perfect. All right, so that's our scale. That's how. That's the language that we will be speaking from now on about these players. Let's start. Let's start with. Uh, you want to start at the? Should we start at the bottom or the top of the rotation? Should we? Let's start at the bottom of the rotation. Yeah. Uh, and build our way through. So let's start with. I don't even know that we can talk about Darius Miller because yeah. he's played so few minutes. Uh, let's talk Justin Jackson who is 6.4 points per game, 2.3 boards per game, 29% from three on three attempts per game, and 80% from the line, 40% overall. What grade would you give Justin Jackson? Well, it depends. My expectations were basically zero. Compared to the expectation is exactly what I expected. So a player that it's not impactful uh, in terms of winning, uh, that probably is good for tanking, so I would say, I mean, if you think that Justin Jackson can start, this is a Turkey situation, like he should have known yeah. better. But it's not terrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not that you get so much worse than what you anticipate him to be. I feel like he's dry Turkey just because he, he has been billed as a shooter for so long. You know, like that's what he's supposed to be coming into the draft. That's who he's supposed to be on this team. And he's had a few good games, but I would... I would give him a dry turkey on this season. He's not been the worst. He's not been awful, but I would I would say that he's been mostly dry turkey. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree. And um, now that I'm thinking of dry turkey, it's uh, yeah, it's Justin. Yeah, Justin Jackson is. Yeah, yeah. It's a perfect example for that. Uh, okay, next player. I'm going to go check something, but I want you to talk just about Alexei Pokashevsky. Oh, boy. I had so many hopes about Alexei Pokashevsky. And don't get me wrong, I still have very good uh, feelings about what can be in the future. So it's it's harsh to say Mitch McGarry's stake, but it's it's reality. I mean, it's uh, I remember taking that T-bone and like starting to to feel uh, like the taste in my mouth and it's just Pokushevsky preseason like you see a guy that can do it all with the ball that uh, takes seven six eight threes a game uh, in preseason and makes a couple and what you can what can I say I mean it's it's being disappointing it's being not great uh in 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 the g league it's been terrible in the league and compared to what we had over the first few games of the preseason it's it's just overcooked filet mignon probably it's a it's an overcooked t-bone for me uh because i had hopes and again it's it's not that i will never try to cook a t-bone in that way in the future so i'm i'm all in for pokushevsky like being better than what he is right now. But if we have to judge what it is today, then it's, um, it's, it's just um, an overcooked meat. If you want to go to the G League, uh, as Sean Corgill says, well, maybe he, he gets to the turkey level or stuff yeah. like that. Because, I mean, even in principle, that should have been an okay dish to have. I don't know. It's a bit disappointing. He did average four assists per game. Yeah. In the G League bubble, he showed off passing. He showed games of being able to score and actually took free throws. I think 
we saw a little a little bit more in the G League what we had hoped we had see, what we had hoped to see in the NBA with him and I'm really glad that they recalled him because I think that it's recalled it sounds like he was like <laughs> he was like something out of store um I'm glad they're bringing him back up from the G League because I'm I'm excited to see if there is some improvement on his end because uh, I I do think that it ended up being pretty important for him. I think it ended up being a good thing for him, just trying to get him as many minutes as possible yeah. because they were nearing territory where they may have needed to stop playing him just for confidence issues because he had he had tremendous confidence to start the year and it was waning. As games went on, he was trying things less and less and less as the season was going on. And so I, I, I do think that it was a good thing. And we'll see how impactful it is to him once he gets back here. And I assume he'll play Wednesday night against the Mavericks. And I'm, I'm very intrigued to see how he looks uh, once he's back. Yes. I, I I hope that he plays against the Mavs and, um, and yeah maybe maybe the grade will, will go up quickly I don't know we'll see yep all right let's go to the next player Mike Muscala who on the season is averaging almost 10 points per game f- almost four rebounds per game shooting 37 percent from three which doesn't seem right to me at all seems like he's shooting like 47% from three. Uh, he's having a tremendous season. Yeah. I feel like he's been very impactful to the Thunder. You go to cleaning the glass and you look at his on-off numbers. He's the, he's the second best on the team in terms of on-off. Mm-hmm. And I think that matches the eye test. Because sure. when he's out there, he is impacting winning on both ends. And it actually gives me a little bit of hope that they that he may have a trade market because I do think that he is a guy that can come off the bench and be impactful for a lot of NBA teams. Yeah, uh, I agree. To me, he's straight up barbecue. Um, he's not like a stake just because there are there is just one probably one player that is at stake level for me. Uh, maybe one and a half. Uh, we'll see. But Mike Mike has been better than what we thought he's yeah. better than last year uh, and as you said when the when he's on the court the defense just the opponent defense just has such a tall task when he and Shea share the court it's it's a nightmare yeah. because Shea can find him in, uh, in pick and pop situation he can find him in uh, in the corners it's um, it's he's just the perfect uh, bench player bench center that just comes in, uh, nails a couple of jumpers, and um, and you you're going to pay him in the playoffs in terms of defense, but for the regular season he is quite perfect. And if you have a very good level of defense, like if you are a team like Milwaukee or uh, or teams like that, even the Lakers, uh, the Lakers have like enough players uh, in that role. But maybe a team like that would just say, well, what if I give you a second for Muscala? And I think it's a good. Mm-hmm. I think it would be good to trade him, even for a second round pick. Totally agree. Uh, yeah, he's a plus nine point eight on the season, yeah. which is wild. It's also wild that Justin Jackson's a plus three. He's one of just a few, just a handful of players that have a positive efficiency differential on the team, uh, which to me is just 
it's wacky. And I said this on the dream team, like it's yeah. just like there's a, there's some things that just kind of wacky going on with this team and Mike Muscala and Justin Jackson, um, being two of the guys that have a positive differential. It's just like, it makes me tilt my head a little bit. Like, really? Like, okay. Like this is weird. Well, they shared a court with Kenrich. This is why. <laughs> I know we'll get to Kenrich here. Let's go. Let's go to Kenrich. I mean, holy moly, his stats, I mean, they're not like, they're not going to blow you away, just his counting stats. I mean, you, you take a look at what he's done so far, six points per game, four rebounds, 1.6 assists, 0.8 steals. He is shooting 42% from three, but on not that many attempts, what is his total attempts? It's like one per game. He shot 53s. Yeah. You know, not he's not shot very many threes this season. He's he's eleventh. Isaiah Roby has taken more threes. Alexei Pokushevsky has taken more threes. Uh, Tail Maladon's taken almost three times the amount of threes that he's taken. So he's not he's yeah he's hitting forty one percent. But cool. I don't know if he's a forty one percent three point shooter. I don't even know if he's like a thirty five percent three point shooter. I have no clue what kind of shooter yeah. he is to be honest, just because he hasn't taken enough. But when you look at the on off. Kelly plus 13 and a half. What do you do with that? What do we do with that? That is, he's 96th percentile in the entire NBA in, in differential. And it's in 650 minutes, which is not insignificant. Whenever you look at the total minutes played, uh, for each guy, because what is he? He's sixth in minutes played on the team. He's played more than Al Horford, more than Roby, more than Muscala, more than Jackson. He's played more than Pokushevsky. Like he is, he's played a. This isn't just a oh small sample size theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like Josh Hall having that impact or even Ty Jerome. He's played a lot and he's been impactful. And to me, that number is crazily unsustainable. <laughs> I mean, you would think by looking at that that he's. LeBron James or something, you know, it's, it is a wild number. It's a number that guys just don't get to. Uh, so I, I try to help me, help me, McKelly, help me to figure out what this means. Cause I do like him. I mm-hmm. obviously, I like him as a player, as a long, even as a long-term role-playing piece. Like I really like him, but what do we do with that number? Well, that number is, I think a bit wonky. Um, I would say that plus 15 is or 13 what is right now. It's uh, it's probably a little bit too much uh, compared to with, uh, where I think it could be given his production. But on the other end, to me, it's clear that when he's on the court, the team plays just a better blend of basketball. That to me is undeniable. Yeah. Like he's just a guy that does always the right thing on the court. He plays good defense. He knows how to pass the ball. He constantly moves around. Um, he screens for others, relocates, takes good shots, makes, again, good decision in terms of shooting, cutting, trying to get to the rim. Um, I think that maybe... Um, I, I want to give him barbecue as well because compared to where he started, I think that the second unit, um, him and Muscala are the guys that are probably giving this team... Uh, the record, which on if you want to look uh, on the other way around, I think it should be uh, a terrible grade because they are actually making this team win more than than, than what it should. Because the reality mm-hmm. is, this team is not winning with the starters. It's not winning with Shea on the court because Shea is 
on the court against better players. But the second unit plays at such a high level in terms of quality of basketball that it's it's just um, and and a lot of that is having Cambridge out there. So I I really yep. think that. Um, one of the things that uh, Lorenzo Neri, my, one of my good friends and, and a, a great basketball minds, mind always tell me is if you want to evaluate a coach and just show me your second unit and I will tell you who you are. And I think that with, with Degnold, this is clearly something that is happening. The second unit plays like he wants them to play and Kenrich is the engine behind that. It's its almost absurd to say that Kenrich, Kenrich Williams is the guy who anchored the second unit, but it's like that. It's not with scoring, it's with defense and with decision-making. It's almost a Draymond Green-like player. If you look at the Draymond stats, yes, those are clearly better, but the first version of Draymond was not all that different different from, uh, from Kenrich. I think he averaged like four points and stuff like that uh, in his first season. And he was old, but he knew how to play basketball. So I wonder if mm-hmm. here we are witnessing something like that, when we have a guy that is basically the soul of your unit, and even if he doesn't do anything special, he always make the right plays, the right play. Yeah. Yeah, to your point, Draymond Green this season, plus 12.5 when he's on the court. And the counting stats aren't spectacular for him either. Yeah. So I think it's a really interesting comp. Obviously, Draymond has a ton of intangibles that Kenrich does not have uh, when it comes to like leadership and things like that. But the play on the court is not crazy different when it comes to defensive activity and then offensive versatility. I don't think they're insanely different. Yeah. Um, and again, Kenrich is doing it for a team that is losing on a second unit. Draymond is doing it for a has has done it for teams that were winning at such a high level but sometimes yep. when you have a player that you basically cannot leave him open not for real you can cheat on him because he will exploit your weak defense and you can play he can play defense on basically three roles maybe it's a guy that that you want to keep around just for for that reason and um yeah and it's clear that um Part of, of the reason why it's also because he doesn't he nearly doesn't play with Baisley, who is one of the worst in terms of um, rating for the team. Yep, we will get to Baisley. Let's first go over to the stream. Thanks so much, for everybody, for joining. We have Jod listening, Daniel Winter listening for the first time, Chad Scott listening in here in OKC. We have a, one of our friends in Greece. I just can't read your name. I'm so sorry, Daniel. From Sydney, thanks for joining. Uh, Evan is here. Let's see who else. Yoni from Israel, thanks for joining. Uh, good afternoon from OKC from Sean Cargill. We have Adve from New Jersey. We have Christos from Greece. Andrew from Salt Lake City. We have Brett from Seattle. Luke from Boise, Idaho. Let's see. Patty from Iowa, thanks for joining. Steven from Utah. Unfortunately, he says, thanks for joining. Michael from New Zealand. Tanner from Rapid City, South Dakota. Holy moly. Kirk from Lexington. Man, this uh, this overwhelms me every time that we go over here and, and read um, where you guys are at. Uh, means a lot to us. Webb 
Mweb from San Diego. Kyle S. from Hawaii. Man, I wish we could be in Hawaii right now. That would be amazing. Dylan in OKC. Uh, Fiddy in Oregon. Thanks so much to everybody. Andrew Potter in Turkey. Uh, means a ton to us that you guys are listening. When we come back from our break, we're going to talk more mid-season grades. We're going to talk more about meat. Uh, again, we appreciate you joining. Uh, and we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, and his wife, Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful designed objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son, Evan, continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless, modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and Cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. And we're back from that quick break. Thanks for sticking with us if you're on the stream. If you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, be sure that you do that. Just go to YouTube.com, search Down to Dunk, hit that subscribe button. You can even hit the little bell to let you guys know whenever we're live. Our next player, Isaiah Roby McKelle, who on the season has, he's, he's had kind of a roller coaster of a season overall, but, uh, his counting stats on the season are actually impressive. <laughs> I've said to the, thus far that the guys haven't had impressive counting stats. For Isaiah Roby coming into this season, 21 minutes per game, 8.6 points per game, 5.4 boards, 1.8 assists. Uh, he's been impressive. 34% from three at 1.8 attempts per game, so not a ton. The volume uh, isn't quite there to say what he is. 53 three-point shots similar to Kenrich Williams. Uh, shooting 34% is nice. And then uh, 72% from the free throw line. So he's showing promise as a guy that can shoot it. Uh, I think we still need to see more from him to figure out what he is. But overall, McKelly, I've been impressed with him. And as far as the meat scale goes, I just don't know if I can give him anything worse than a uh, than a, a pork shoulder. Oh, yeah. Because I, I feel like he has been pretty good he's he's not been crazy impressive or anything like that but he has not been bad he started the season kind of bad but i feel like he's leveled out to like oh okay like he's he's kind of he's bordering on dude level yeah yeah i think that the the hammy shoulder or the pork shoulder it's it's the right grade to give to roby because on some nights you can see him and say wow is is this roby for real uh, he's having he's dunking on people. He's shooting trees off the dribble. He's taking pull-ups. He's um, doing his thing in the post. And as I said a lot of times with John in Thunder After Dark, 
I think that at the beginning of the, of the season there were moments in the game where you could definitely see that um, that he was not there uh, in terms of understanding the speed of the game, understanding where to be at any time on defense nor on offense. And even if defense is not there yet, especially from a physicality standpoint, I think it probably has a good enough body where he can be a little bit more physical with guys. But on offense, he's making strides. And so depending on the night, you might probably have a great uh, roast or something that is okay, but nothing bad. I mean, I, I don't recall any game over the last four weeks where I could say, well, Robbie's quite bad tonight. It's just, yeah, he's doing his things. And when he starts, the team is not particularly good just because Horford is a better player overall. But on some nights, you don't, you don't even realize that he's out there and he's the starter because it's he's playing at, at, at a very good level. And again, for a second-year player that basically had no rookie experience, this is, I think, a very promising season. Yeah, without a doubt. I don't know what it means for his future in the NBA, but I can tell you that he has just been a lot better than I thought. Yeah. And he may end up being one of the, he's a guy that scores the points kind of thing. But, you know, if he's he's the kind of guy that could kind of stick around in the NBA, whether it's with the Thunder or not, uh, because we do have to acknowledge the fact that this Thunder team is going to be drafting several players in this next draft and they will need spots on the roster. And mm-hmm. some of those will be generated by expiring deals like Michael Scala's expiring deal. I think we don't really know what to make of Hamadou Diallo and where the Thunder will go with him if they re-sign him or not. Uh, Justin Jackson. So, But also Isaiah Roby could be one of the spots. So we it's just... Something to acknowledge that he—he—it's not that he has like a completely safe spot on the roster, uh, but I will say that he may have carved himself out like a, a nice, you know, little career, which is great. Uh, let's go over the scale again for those listening live on the podcast. So the very tip top of the scale—if you've had the best season, you're just a perfectly cooked ribeye. Next one is a perfect barbecue brisket. Just delightful. Uh, in the middle of the pack is a pork shoulder that is just uh, cooked okay. It's okay. Uh, five is dry turkey. No explanation needed. And then the fifth spot on the scale is a, a steak cooked to uh, Mitch McGarry's perfection, which is well done and disgusting. So <laughs> if you've been horrible, you get a Mitch McGarry steak, which I think we've only given one of those out to, and that was Alexei Pokushevsky, who is um, having one of the worst statistical seasons in the NBA (laughs) right now with his the way that he shot the ball and the way that he's turned the ball over. So, uh, okay, so we have given, uh, just finished with Isaiah Roby. Let's move on to Hamadou Diallo, who has had kind of a delightful season so far. He has, he's coming off an injury. Hopefully he'll be back and ready to go on Wednesday. But 11.9 points per game, almost 12 points per game, five boards, 2.4 assists, which might be the most impressive stat to me overall. A steal, almost half a block, only 1.5 turnovers, which is also impressive. 48% from the field overall, 29% from three, uh, 62.9% from the free throw line. Michele, what do you give Hamadou Diallo? Well, he is another poor crossed, which 
might might be amazing on some maybe some part of the roast or some nights where you where you nail everything and in other nights it's uh it's an okay meat to have but not maybe what it's not your go-to i think that hami had a very rough start of the season which should count for something and a very good middle part of the season and then maybe a little bit of a decline and and then the injury that is keeping him out of the court so i don't know if if giving him just a pork shoulder grade it's fair because the moments the good moments that he had were very very good uh but on the other end there sure. were a lot of times where it's a lot of mid-range jumpers it's a lot of tunnel vision and i think that we need to be fair and say that those moments actually happened yeah without a doubt i think that it's kind of the perfect spot for him because he has he's had really high highs this season the trip to new york was yeah. just like unbelievable yeah where it was. There's been a lot of moments this season where I've watched this team and felt like, I don't know anything about anything. <laughs> no. <laughs> because of the way that some of these guys have performed. And I thought Brett Dawson just, he said it perfectly on the Dream Team show from last week. You need to go listen to it because uh, Brett was on point. But he just talked about how this season, in a, in a season that doesn't have very many teams that are trying hard, the Thunder are one of them. And Hami has been not only a guy who's tried really hard, but I feel like he has improved. Uh, and when you have that effort level plus improvement, which really, to me, it's in his handle and it's in his decision-making that he's improved the most, mm -hmm. Those that gets him here. I was fully prepared. If we talked about preseason stuff, I was fully prepared to be giving him a Mitch McGarry T-bone steak. <laughs> you know? Yeah, uh, but he has outperformed what we thought he would be, and huge credit to Hami and huge credit to the Thunder staff for uh, his development. So huge, huge shouts. Uh, let's go to our next Thunder player, and that's Teo Maladon, who has had or Maladone or however you want to say it. I don't know. Uh, Seven point eight points per game, three boards, three assists, a steal. 1.8 turnovers per game, shooting 35% from three on good volume, four attempts per game, which that's impressive that he's yeah. in the game shooting that much. He's actually perfectly replicating what George Hill was doing with regards to attempts uh, as a starter. Uh, only 39% from the field overall, which isn't great, but uh, did make the, the rising stars... Roster, I guess you just say roster because they did not play a game and they are not going to play a game. But it's uh, it's it's a little bit funny to me that the last two seasons has yielded two players in each draft to the Rising Stars game for the Thunder, both of which were not the Thunder's first-round picks. <laughs> it's because they had first-round picks and then they picked up Dort off the scrap heap, obviously, after the draft and then picked Maladone in the second round. And then uh, Baisley and Poku, who are really there, just swings for the fences, uh, haven't quite met their potential yet. But uh, thoughts on Maladon? Thoughts on his season thus far? Well, the grade is a little bit complicated, but because if you want to to, to understand, like if you want to grade um, the season in general, uh, like in uh, from a distant uh, point of view, you can say, well, he's 
a below average player in terms of league average. Uh, mm-hmm. He's not great. Um, he's shooting okay from three, but the rest is not is not awesome. He he's clearly not a starter. So it's it's not great. But if you start from the fact that he was a second round pick and is performing on some nights as probably at at starter level and and it's he understands the game at such a high level that it's it's hard to see him, uh, to seeing him as a rookie so it's i think it's between pork and barbecue something like something there because it's clearly not as uh, impactful as a guy like Kenrich Williams or as consistent sure. as a guy like Mike Muscala but it's it's better i think that uh, guys like Orbi because I think that from the beginning it was a guy that you can rely on for quality minutes and this is something that Mm -hmm. for a rookie that has never been in the US and yeah it had experience in 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 the league but in in Europeans league Um, but it's it's still incredible that he's able to play it in such a mature way in some sense I would love for him to be a little a little bit more uh, aggressive um, especially sure. with his jumper, because I think he has potential to be a very good shooter. And I love yeah. when he just comes off the peak and he just immediately shoots it, because mm-hmm. I think that that is a part of his game that can lead him uh, like far away uh, in the league. Uh, without a pull-up, I don't know, but with a pull-up, who knows? I mean, it's um, it's something that can make or break a player. Yeah, I like him. I think he he does a little bit of everything. He seems to just. At least at this point, you can see a clear path to him being a solid backup point guard. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he can be a starter in in the NBA just because he does have a lot of his. He's got decent size, but he doesn't have great size or great length. Uh, he doesn't have great bursts of speed or anything like that. But he just projects as like a solid backup point guard that can finish games for you in spots, and I think that's great. If you snag him in the second round, that's wonderful. And it's kind of cool looking at this, looking back at this draft. There's just a lot of guys at kind of a similar level uh, toward the back of this draft. Everyone talked about this being a flat draft, and I think that that is really bearing out. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you look at even like 16. Isaiah Stewart has been nice for the Pistons. Like he's a nice rotation player. Uh, I think Sadiq Bay is obviously a guy that's been exceeding expectations. But like Precious Achua, and Tyrese Maxey. And Emmanuel Quickly, who's been good for the Knicks, and Peyton Pritchard, who's been a nice backup for um, the Celtics, and Desmond Bain, who was drafted at 30 by the Grizzlies. like Just, like, nice players. And there's some misses in there. Uh, like, the Hornets drafted in Vernon Carey, and Daniel Oturu went right before Maladone, which I don't really get, but glad that he did because, um, you know, the Thunder got him. But, yeah, nice player. In a in a draft full of just kind of nice nice guys, like I have, I don't know, I'm I'm very very pleased with with him so far, and I feel like he's he's got room to improve. If he can improve as a pick and roll ball handler and improve his uh, spot up shooting, I think that he's a guy that sticks around for a long time in the NBA. Yeah. All right, next one, George Hill. He's only played 14 games, yeah. averaging 11.8 points per game. Kind of a tough one to grade, but if you were to grade him, to me he's kind of just pork shoulder. Like, yeah, he just kind of is. Yeah, Uh, he's not. He hasn't been. He hasn't blown me away. He hasn't been bad. 
And it's, I think it's been good for this team that he hasn't been playing because I do think it allows time for other players to, to get time to play and really lean into the development part of the season. But uh, how would you characterize his season so far? Well, it's a tiny little piece of pork shoulder, that for sure. Because yep. <laughs> he didn't play right. much. Um, and it's something to say, yeah, it's, it's okay. Just, just this... This tiny little piece is it's okay with me. I don't want I don't want more of it. I know that it can be good, uh, but I have other hopes uh, for for the season. So I think that George Hill, when he played, showed that he could be very very good for this team in terms of yeah. helping the team win, um, which is again not the main goal of the season. I I really hope that he finds um, a place where he can be uh, and. I think there are plenty of teams that will see him more than a pork shoulder, maybe um, some barbecue piss, uh, brisket or yeah. back ribs, I don't know, um, because he can make uh, a second unit way better uh, oh, when yeah. paired with a, with a good point guard that can, that can allow him to play off ball and be just a, a very good shooter and an okay defender. I think that it doesn't. It does make sense for him to, for example, go back uh, in Utah and play sure. as a. They they have a lot of ball handlers and, and initiators, but I think that you guys like. I don't even know if there is a trade to be made. Just making stuff up, but even in Denver, I mean, guys like that can make fortune for a team that is trying to win, and they they don't want to overpay for a piece because I do think that you don't want to pay George Hill with a good first but but if it's um, two second rounders or a heavily protected second or a swap I don't know um, then maybe it's something that you do just because it's better for you to get an asset right there um, and again Denver makes a lot of sense to me because they they would really use a guy like him. I know that they have Monty Morris, they have Barton, they have Harris, but I mean, the playoffs are long. And if you if you have an injury to Barton, to to even Murray, with Hill, you have a chance to, to win a series without, who knows? And of course, the Clippers make, make a ton of sense. Um, yeah, the Clippers have always made sense. And you basically can swap Lou Will for George Hill. Yeah. And the Thunder already have the future of the Clippers in their war chest. So I don't know what they send back to OKC. They have a Detroit pick, right? Something They've like got that. seconds, yeah. yeah. They've got seconds that they can send back. And like a Rajon Tucker is a two-way player for them that I think is kind of interesting. Obviously, we're big Gele guys here. Uh Really liked him in the draft. Really like his potential. Uh, he doesn't play at all for them. So I don't yeah. know if that's something that, that would be palatable to Sam to get back for him. Uh, but I think it's – I think there's some, some interesting deals to be had for, yeah. for George Hill. And I don't really know what the threshold is for Sam and what he wants to get back. But I do know that uh, he is likely to be on the move uh, from Oklahoma City to somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, okay, here's our top four guys. Let's start with Al Horford, who's 14 points per game, 6.7. Rebounds, three and a half assists, almost a steal, almost a block, 35% from three, his on-offs. 
This season, he's a minus 1.6 on the season, which is uh, better than some other starters for the Thunder. Uh, he's, I feel like he's been helpful on and off the court. He's just your steady, he's just your dad. He's your, your steady dad player on the team. Uh, he's he's been nice to me. He's similar to George Hill. He hasn't blown me away, but I exactly. do think that he's he's been probably a little bit briskety for me. I feel like he's he's had moments that have been Mitch McGarry stake level. He started the season really really bad, but I feel like he just helps glue this team together. I think he especially helps Darius Baisley whenever he's out there on the court because Baisley almost seems lost without him. Yeah. I don't know if I want to go in that direction or the complete opposite in terms of uh, grade uh, and go yeah. maybe a little bit Turkey-ish. Um, okay. I don't know. On some nights, I see the value, but maybe I hoped for something that something that could not be there. I really hoped for a season sure. where Horford could be something more, not not at yeah. not to, to CP3 level uh, because that season was. And, and again, CP3 is a completely different player. But I hope right. that Alford could have a season where after 20 games, you say, oh, wow, we need to get out of here. And instead, it's some fun, someone that if, even if you keep him around, it's not that he's helping you winning to such a high degree. Um, like, I don't know. I, I think that guys like Muscala and Kenrich are, in, are probably... Uh, making OKC winning more than Horford. Horford, again... The numbers bear that out, yeah. Then That's what the numbers say. Yeah, but even even the play on the court, I mean, you can see him some nights, he's having it, he's shooting trees, especially with the baby powers after his son was born. That's but right. Then, <laughs> but then he's back and he's, okay, I'm I'm doing this, it's it's nice, mm-hmm. and... And I'm just playing my part, not being great at, at defense or offense. I'm just do what I'm supposed to do. Like I play good basketball, I, I make smart plays, and but I think that he could have a better season. And if they don't trade him, it's because he could have been way better than what it was. Sure. Yeah, I am still a believer in that they'll trade him in the off season. Whenever there's going to be a lot of cap space available, there's going to be teams that are looking to improve, and he has one year less on his deal. Yeah, I just think it's similar to the Chris Paul situation in that in that it's just going to be more palatable for somebody to take him on in the off season. Okay, this is kind of our young core, uh, Basley on more toward the outer edge of that than the other two, but we'll start with Darius Basley whose raw stats, 11.9 points per game, almost seven boards per game, 1.5 assists, uh, shooting 29% from three, and he's got essentially a team worst, minus 11.6 when he's on the court. Uh, He's had a complicated season in a lot of ways. Uh, I'm going to give him probably a Mitch McGarry, well, maybe not Mitch McGarry, definitely a dry turkey. He's not. He's had some flashes of brilliance where he's getting to the basket, he's dunking everything, he's had stretches of the season where he's scoring in double figures and yeah. playing well, and he wants tough defensive assignments, and they're giving him a lot to study on his plate. But 
he has had just some real stinkers in here too. Some really bad games where he's unhelpful on both ends. And then there's a little bit of the attitude stuff with him that has surprised me a little bit this season with him where he's having a bad game and he's kind of sulking or he's even uh, putting himself out of the range of even being able to play offense with the team. And I'm just a little baffled by that. I didn't really see that coming from him this season where he kind of rides the waves of emotions and it's, it's okay to do that as a young person. We all did that as young people. Uh, But he, to me, he's lacked a a maturity that I thought that we would see from him this season. So there's just a lot, there's a lot of complicated things in there, but to me, a lot of it can just be spelled out in that he's a really young guy that has not had a ton of experience as a professional. He didn't get that year of college, which I do think uh, impacts things. Mm-hmm. And even just playing that year with a team, with a group of guys, I think missing a whole year of that uh, does impact things as far as development goes. And so I I don't know. I think he's, but he's been dry turkey. I think that we've expected more from him. Yeah, I mean, it's harsh to give him uh, burn steak or um, Mitch McGarry steak, but I think mm-hmm. it's closer to that that to dry sure. turkey because yeah. over the last month and a half, when I see him play, I just think, oh boy, he's crazy inefficient. Yeah. Like at some point, inefficiency it's it's important like we remember russ and it's it's not a comparison a right comparison but all all the possessions that you waste counts for something and sure. when he's on the court the offense is extremely inefficient um he gets rebounds and and he shows clearly that he has enough talent to be a player in this league and i think the right move is to keep starting starting him and to give him uh, opportunities and stuff like that but a he needs to be way more judicious with his shot Uh, i'm looking at his uh, synergy report he is in the 19th percentile in terms of efficiency to 84 points per possession it's this is very bad and it's bad in spot up it's bad in isolation it's bad in pick and roll uh it's okay in transition and but it's it's like he's taking 35 percent of his possession as a spot up in spot up opportunities and he's making 40 percent of them it's it's just not gonna cut it and, and the, th- the fact is the bubble for him was probably the highest point in terms of his shooting because he, he was capable of hitting shots and he was confident and he was hitting the right ones. And now he's trying to create a lot with his shot and it's not working. Um, I know that once you try to, to do something, it's probably bad to say, well, I'll revert to what I can do best and it's just spot up shooting and and that's it and probably this is not what the team wants Um, but if we want to evaluate the results I think that those are terrible Um, the defensive part is better than the offensive part and so maybe the fact that we go to a dry turkey-ish grade it's because uh, it's undeniable that um, if you take out the offense he has been 
okay to to good uh, in terms of rebounding and yep. being versatile and stuff like that. Yeah, it's it's been a it's been a rough one for Darius, mm-hmm. and I, I still have hope hopes for him to be a good role player. Oh sure, and maybe he that's what he is is like a three and D wing like three four that can attack a closeout that can lead in transition that can rebound and go. And if that's what you get, like those guys are really hard to find. <laughs> those guys are really hard to find. Yeah. And I'm hopeful that he can correct his spot up shooting because if, if he continues to shoot like this, it's, I don't, I really don't know what he is as an offensive player, but if he can get within that 34, 35% range, which I do believe he can get to, then it's like, okay, like that's a nice player to have around yeah. and to develop. And maybe he gets better than that. But if that's all you get, like that's a great pick. That's a really, really great pick. Um, so, yeah, I I don't know. I still, there's still a lot to discover with him moving sure. forward. It's not no, it's the great. It's not about his future. Uh, it's about today, right? And, and this oh, season, without a doubt. So, I really think that he could be even better than a role player if everything pans out. But he needs to fix the shooting badly. He needs to fix the decision making again badly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, let's move on to Lou Dort. Oh, twelve point three points per game. Uh, 3.5 rebounds, 1.5 assists, uh, almost a steal per game, 32% from three on the season on six attempts per game, 38% overall from the field, 75% from the line. He is one of the few starters who has a positive differential mm-hmm. at a plus 0.2, according to <laughs> Cleaning the Glass, which puts him just smack dab in the middle. He's been so much more than I thought he could be as a player. He's been tremendous. He has started uh, 35 games for this team and has been in double figures 23 of those times. He is finding ways to get to the basket, to finish creatively. He's good in transition. He can play in the pick and roll a little bit. And to me, the thing, the biggest test for him has been the shooting. And he started the season really, really hot. Uh, too hot, honestly. Mm-hmm. And he has cooled off since then. And he's re- much closer to a 30% shooter than he is a 40% shooter. And that's bared out in the numbers. He's 32% on the season. But he keeps shooting. Yeah. And he keeps taking them, which is the most important thing for him in his development. We have to remember, he is a very, very young player that has played very, very few professional games. And he has improved a lot to this point. And I'm just, I don't, I don't know if proud is the right word because it's like, like shows like ownership and it's kind of awkward to say, but I do kind of feel that for him that he does continue to shoot the ball. He's attempted the most threes on the Thunder by a pretty big margin. He's taken 209 threes on the season. And that's that might be the number because if he continues to just shoot and even through his ebbs and flows, if he's consistent and he doesn't let it get in his head because what kills guys who aren't great shooters is what's going on in between the ears. Yeah. That's what will absolutely destroy these guys. It destroyed Terrence Ferguson. It was very bad for Andre Robertson's career. 
we've seen it in OKC so many times that it's just like, uh, and even with Tabo Cephalosha toward the end of his career, like they had to bench him in the playoffs because he was just so much in his head about shooting. And he hasn't done that yet. Now, is it possible for him to revert and do that? Absolutely it is because we all go through ebbs and flows as people. But I have been so impressed with his confidence level and his ability to tune out everything, even through these the bad, bad ruts that he's had where it felt like he was never going to make a three ever again. He continues to shoot it. And that, to me, shows that he's got a pretty high ceiling, that if he can land at 35% from three, play the defense that he does, this is that's a starter. He's an NBA starter. And to find an NBA starter off the scrap heap is next to impossible. And it seems like the Thunder have done that. He's, he's basically been the guy the Thunder have been looking for since the moment they arrived in Oklahoma City just a defensive bulldog that can take and make threes and play in transition and do all these things. But he's here now, and he will be a part of this next era of the Thunder. I'm pretty confident in that. Yeah, and he's brisket um, to me. Um, yeah. I don't know if I want to go. To me, just Shea isn't a um, pre-buy, dried-age yeah. steak um, yeah, because he's sure. totally in a different level. But Dort... Is, has a lot to work on. Um, the shiftiness of his drive, the decision-making on offense, I think he could improve on that end because sometimes he he just goes straight into dudes without even think about <laughs> how he's doing it uh, or why. Um, but he's a plus defender, a very, very good defender on certain kind of players, maybe a little bit more average on, on shooters, but if you pair him with a... Uh, with a guy like Harden or a guy like Lillard or guys like that that are same size, um, like very strong dudes, then Dort is probably among the best uh, in terms of um, defenders. And and he also introduced stuff in his repertoire that weren't there last season, like the fact that he could attack, close out uh, in this way. Yeah, there were glimpses, but at the beginning of the season, it was, he was automatic. Now, defenses are guarding him in a different way. Uh, at the beginning of the season, he had a lot of room to drive because no one was prepared for his drives. Right now, teams are sending an extra guy, and, he, and this will make things tougher for him. Um, let's see how he handles that going forward because right now in the season there is very little time to adjust the offensive game you can adjust schematic things uh, on defense like you can send an extra man there you can analyze tendencies of opponents but to have time to work on it on uh, development uh, of his own skills it's it's probably not the time um, I wonder what kind of player we'll see in the future I agree with you he will be part of this team future because he's so strong defensively and fearless he's a fearless guy he he has a way to to defend screen that is insane he's taking charges every single game because he goes where other defenders are afraid to go uh he takes he, he he's probably the guy that takes the most um in terms of physical contacts from the opponents and still is able to pull off like this offensive season that again uh, by the numbers it doesn't seem 
uh, a very good one because when you are 38% from the field and 32% from tree, it's it's not awesome. But in the context of Ludort, this is very good news. Yeah, without a doubt, I've been super impressed with with Lou and what what his future will be uh, in the NBA. Let's move on, and we'll finish here. We're, we've gone a little bit long, but we'll finish here with Shagilis Alexander. Shagilis Alexander. Shagilis. Uh, who, who has been just undeniable this year as a player. I've been so impressed with him. 23 points per game, a career high, 6.2 assists. No one talks a lot about this, but that's double what he's done in the past, and a lot of that's role. A lot of that's who he's playing with. I get that, but still, the double your assist total. No, 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 no. Stop there. Don't discount the assist number. I think that with a regular team, he could average almost double digits in terms of assist just with his play, because the quality of the passes that he's making is insane. So no, I, I, I don't want to take anything away. From the 6.2 assist, I think he's working. Oh, I know that you are not, but just just mm-hmm. to to avoid uh, misunderstanding, Shea is having an awesome passing season. He's just improving immensely in that. Yeah, it is role, but to have a point guard that is able to average 6.2 assists when he has literally the worst three-point shooting team of in the league and. And it's not his fault because he's the one who uh, increases that percentage. It's quite impressive because, again, four to, to say that three three uh, passes are like hits on other teams is not a stretch. He could really average ten assists this season. Had had him better shooters around him. Yeah. Sorry for interrupting. No, you. I. No, I'm I'm glad you did because you're you're right. I think that he's. Probably, I mean, he's definitely closer to eight assists per game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you just look at the efficiency. It's outrageous. 62% true shooting. Uh, the list of guys that have had seasons like this is is very short when it comes to true shooting percentage. And averaging, 20, let's, even we just put the criteria of 20, 23, 5, and 5 of at least that. Uh it's not very many players. It's Wilt Chamberlain and LeBron and Kevin Durant and Steph Curry and Giannis and James Harden and Nikola Jokic is doing it this season. There's actually quite a few guys that are doing it this season, yeah. which is impressive. Uh, if we bump that assist number up to six, things change a little bit. Um, let me put that. Oh, hold on. I accidentally put 62, which is no one. impossible. <laughs> There's nobody that's doing that. But the guys that are doing the 23, 5, and 5 on 62% true shooting this season, um, it's Jokic, James Harden, Steph Curry, Zach Levine, Shea, Paul George, and uh, KD. Yeah. And that's it. And that even just to be mentioned in that group when certainly – Offense has gone through the roof. Yes. Um, And that has been helpful to a lot of these counting stats. But to keep the efficiency is something that hasn't happened. And when you shorten the list, when you make it six assists per game, it's 11 guys in NBA history, or 11 seasons in NBA history that guys have done it. Uh, LeBron James has done it three times. Uh, James Harden has done it once, and that would be this season. Steph Curry has done it 
twice, including this season and in 2017-18. Wilt did it in 67, and then it wasn't done again until 2012, until we got to LeBron James. But this is a historic level of efficiency when it comes to the amount of shots and the amount of assists and the amount of rebounds. Like no, no, essentially nobody does this except for superstars, Jokic, Curry, Harden. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Like those are the guys like that's the list. Yeah. It's been done 11 times. I don't know if he can hang on to this type of efficiency. I believe he can, but it's an insane list when it comes to the scoring output plus the efficiency. Yeah, and I want to, to well, first, he needs to do it uh, for um, at least the entire season, uh, 70 games, something like that, because, I mean, it's still not small sample size, but still 32, 30 games is kind of a small sample size. Um, yeah. But suppose that he does it. It's, it's even more impressive than others because you mentioned players that were on good teams. Curry might be the one this season where he has the worst team and clearly yep. they are guarding just him. But we okay see it's really that nobody cares about anyone except for maybe Horford and Muscala in uh, pick and pop situations and then Shea. That's mm -hmm. it. So and he's playing good defenses. He's playing good good teams. Like the Spurs are not a bad team. And he played against the Spurs like no one was in front of him. He was just murdering everyone. Um, he is like he can score at will against basically not not anyone because it's not fair. Uh, he faced defenses like Milwaukee and had a hard time uh, scoring, but still. The fact that he's able to get to his pull-up whenever he wants. The fact that he, I think he has the mid-range pull-up and he's not exploring it uh, as much as he could. Like He's just an incredible player. I was watching to some stats before the podcast and one, one that is mind-blowing, and, and we, we already mentioned that a lot of times, with the volume of drives that Shea has, which is at the top of the league, there are three players that are close to him in terms of efficiency one that is better that is james harden who has a very good offense <laughs> very well spaced offense to work with and he's james harden james harden then there is shea and then luca so this is this is how he is playing off the dribble and it's insane it's yeah it's 57 percent effective field goal on drives this is just this is doesn't this doesn't happen like it's it's incredible with these kind of teammates Shea is putting one of the most efficient efficient season um ever <laughs> it's yep. imagine if you pair him with with good shooters and a guy like Cade who can take a lot yep. of um attention on defense away from him imagine this is this is why you want to give Shea, and this is why you want to lose as many games as possible this year, is so that you can get one of these guys in the top four. Yeah. Because if you give him one guy, because it's he's shooting 62%, it's 62% true shooting on the most difficult shots of his career, <laughs> yeah. is what's happening. Yeah. And you give him one other guy that attracts attention, because the Thunder don't really have a guy no. that attracts attention. 
The ball moves, and it creates energy. And yes, guys are going to guard and close out. But when it comes down to it, teams that have had the most success against the Thunder have just thrown every single thing at Shea and just shut everything else down yeah. because of that. And Shea has still found ways to score. Uh, he's been He's been unreal. And if you just give him Evan Mobley, who could develop into a great uh, pick-and-pop, pick-and-roll partner for him, if you give him Jalen Suggs, who can take pressure off of him as a guy that can score, if you give him, obviously Cade would be ideal because of the size and versatility and the fact that he can likely just be a wing that you just can never, ever find. Uh, Those are... Just getting top-level talent next to him just means more space for Shea. It means more room to operate. It means better efficiency. It means a better team. It means a team that actually has a future. That's what what this means. And yes, I've been very... Shea has been crazy impressive. He's been wonderful. This team is still far below 500. This team is still far away from even making the play-in tournament. And so if you're satisfied with this team, I just don't really know what to say. And I know that most of you aren't, and I don't even have to say anything to you guys because you guys understand it. You guys understand the direction this team wants to go. You understand what this team is going to do. And so I'm I am so intrigued as to what's going to happen at the trade deadline. Uh, we'll, we'll stop here. We have gone really long, but uh, we do have the, the all-star break, and so I think there's more time. There's less podcasts out there this week, so here's a little bit more for you guys. Make sure that you do turn in some trades because we're doing some trade uh, awards on Wednesday with Alex and I uh, talking Thunder trades. So the trade deadline is coming up in just a couple weeks. I'm very excited about that. Uh, I think that there should be some activity on the Thunder's end, so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what that is. So I hope you guys have a great day. Make sure you follow McKelly on Twitter at Mikey Barra. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew K. Schlecht. Have a wonderful Monday. Thanks for listening in on the stream. If you're here with us on YouTube, thank you so much. Subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't done that yet. Hope you guys have a wonderful day. We'll talk to you guys again on Wednesday. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.